You remember the words of Jesus. He said in Matthew 24, 36, concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Well, that's what Jesus said concerning the timing of his return. So why is it there are so many Christians out there trying to predict and hasten the second coming of Christ? Of course, we shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus himself predicts as much when he said in Matthew 24, 23, people would say, look, here is Christ, and then there he is. He said, don't believe it. But many Christians are obsessed with calculating his return and reaching for the unknown because they don't want to accept Christ's word. They want to be smarter than Christ. The fascinating thing is, it's not only Christians who are doing this. Fundies of several different stripes are now vigorously working to prepare for the coming of their own particular Messiah. So today, we're going to talk about fundamentalist kook expectations concerning the second coming of the Messiah. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Hey, thanks for joining us online here, Sinners and Saints. We're going to be talking about kook messianic fundamentalist expectations of the coming of the Messiah. <laughs> here he comes. <laughs> joining us for our discussion, obviously, as usual, and you've just heard him sounding off, the Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church, Reverend Moses Genbazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel, pastor at All Saints Reformed Church. I'm sitting here reading uh, an article today in the L.A. Times entitled, End Times Religious Groups Want Apocalypse Soon. And I start scanning through it, and I notice something very interesting here. It, first of all, talks about how megachurches, there's like a, a whole group of megachurch pastors, uh, just recently gathered together in Inglewood. And here's what the article said. To polish strategies using global communications and aircraft to transport missionaries to fulfill the Great Commission. Why? Doing so, they believe, will bring about the end of the world, perhaps within two decades. The article goes on. One crazy group of fundamentalist Christians, fundamentalist Muslims, fundamentalist Jews, and on and on and on, who are going about their own preparations for apocalyptic crisis, which ushers in the coming of Christ. I have to say, as reading this, the, the reason why we'd, we'd even be uh, curious or concerned or desiring to take this on is because this article makes it look like this is what Christians believe. We're all just a bunch of nutty, kooky, weird obsessed people running around <laughs> trying to, you know, set into uh, order the climactic apocalyptic events of the end times and bring the the sky falling down. Well, let's begin with the good things. It's wonderful that Christians are meeting together to see that all the nations hear the gospel. And that would be something that we would obviously commend. The problem is the motivation. And I think that's really what we're trying to hit here is this idea that we are going to bring about the great cataclysm by evangelizing like this is their goal is to see something take place that 
scripturally is not up to us in any way. We have a duty to worship God. We have a duty to continue to grow in our sanctification by being under the means of grace and to see that the church in its mission actually goes out and evangelizes the world. And that the fact that we are commanded to do this should be our motivation. What these people have done is that that's not enough for them. They want a payoff at the end that is going to be a grand nuclear holocaust, essentially. And that's kind of what they're looking forward to. And that's what they're pushing to so that it comes in their lifetime so they don't miss it. Yeah, well, uh, agreed. <laughs> we are not anti-evangelistic here. We wouldn't even be doing this broadcast, by the way, if we weren't if we were anti-evangelistic. We, we, we'd be sitting around just smoking cigars and doing whatever. We wouldn't be bothered with... This. So we obviously we care about evangelism, getting the message out and so forth. But I, I just want to introduce to you Clyde Lott. Clyde. He's a preacher from down south in Mississippi who is both a preacher and a cattle rancher. According to Lott, what needs to happen here is he needs to start raising red heifers. He needs to raise red heifers, of course, because these are used in the temple in Jerusalem once it's finally uh, constructed over there so that they can offer up sacrifices according to the law. And so here's what he says he needs to do. He wants to raise a few head of red heifers for Jewish high priests. Citing scripture, law, and others say, a pure red heifer must be sacrificed and burned and its ashes used in purification rituals to allow Jesus to, you guessed it, rebuild the local temple. Well, this is fun because this man is assuming that God is not going to be able to have the provisions necessary when he chooses to come in glory and in power and that somehow we're going to have to provide for these things. Even though we don't know when he's coming, sacrificial bulls, which are not needed anymore now that Christ has come, somehow have to be restored. So you've got multiple problems here. One is the misunderstanding of what Christ's work has accomplished, how the law has been set aside, the purpose of Israel and the temple, as well as his role in what is to be done. His role as a believer is to grow. His role as a believer is to preach the gospel, if that is his calling. Raising of red heifers, I don't think, is on the list of things that God needs him to do. Well, here's what he said, and he disagreed with you. He said, something deep in my heart says God wants me to be a blessing to Israel. But he said, it's complicated. We're just not ready to send any red heifers over there yet. So he goes on to explain, and apparently, Moses, they're not exactly confident that God can uh, pull this one off. So he goes, he explains the lengths that they've been going to to try to get this red heifer. First of all, he had a red heifer, one of the, I guess, only ones on the planet. And somehow it was suspected of um, acquiring uh, hoof and mouth disease, so he had to move it to Nebraska. Then they paid uh, for some expert scientists to pull off cloning, but then they found out the rabbis, uh, uh, the council of rabbis in Israel said that that would be forbidden. And so the rabbis then began to work on producing a red heifer through the use of artificial insemination. But... I just God is this restricted that he is dependent on modern science in order to bring this about. I mean, it seems that it would be in God's interest to do this in a manner that would be glorifying to him. Should it be necessary? But but isn't the whole scheme driven by the um, the impotence of God? 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we have to get out and send truckloads of missionaries to Uganda because we all know that God can't figure out how to send missionaries there himself to redeem the vast multitudes or at least preach them the gospel before he can send his Christ back. Well, again, though, we're not want, we don't want to denigrate the idea of sending missionaries. That's always what the church has done, and we yeah, need to do that. Yeah, but the it's problem the is that this, but for this, the purpose under of this, no, times, but, here, no, of but let me say this. It, the problem is... That when you have this kind of mentality, and it is your motivation for missions, it actually confounds your message. I mean, it's like the, uh, if we could retell the parable, the religious Christian wingnut who cried Messiah. Because basically these people are always, you know, interpreting what they see in the newspaper or the signs of the times as the Messiah is coming. And they keep crying, Messiah, 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 oh, he's here. He's here in your lifetime. And then they die. Oh, he's coming in, you know, 2000, whatever. And then that time passes and Messiah is not here. Eventually, the world looks at this and says, you people are morons. You people who are supposedly following the Bible and supposedly preaching this gospel and tell me to put my faith in Christ and look for the Messiah. Well, supposedly the Messiah has come over. And when he actually does come... You haven't prepared anybody to receive him with a welcoming heart when he does come by surprise to all of us, as he says he will. It's it, it actually goes against the very purpose of evangelism that you're trying to, to give. Well, plus what you're saying, the confusion, is that these people are now going to find out that the only reason they're being evangelized is not because we want God glorified in saving sinners. No. They're not being evangelized because we believe everyone should hear the gospel because we don't watch, wish to see people go to hell. We want them to hear the gospel and to have the Spirit of God work in them and cause them to repent. We're only evangelizing you because you're a means to an end, which is that we get to check out by seeing this glorious cat catastrophe, this huge war in which there will be rivers of blood flowing in the Mideast. I don't really see how this should be a Christian goal to see massive bloodshed on a scale that's been unimagined. And this is really what these people are looking forward to. And it's quite disgusting. Yeah, me messianic expectations for these people, unfortunately, have been reduced to uh, something like desert storm shock and awe. I mean, they are fixated upon, you know, nuclear meltdown and, you know, chemical warfare and vaporization of, you know, everybody. And, and they're convinced that the American evangelism. Yeah, and they're convinced the American military is somehow executing the will of God in a positive manner. Rather yeah. than as all things work together for good, they believe that this is a positive thing that we're invading the Middle East because we're setting the the all the pieces in place. When so we, I mean, when come. we consider the revelation of the Son of Man, I mean, to be sure, we think that's going to be a bloody day, a bloody day of judgment Fine. against the unbelieving nations. But the the question is, how do we respond to that? I mean, our response shouldn't be getting our jollies over the you know execution and vengeance of God against all of His enemies. But as the church today. What we should have is compassion for the lost and an urgency of, of recognizing that we're no different from anybody else who's lost in ignorance and darkness except that we have been saved by grace. And the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see the truth. And we should be loving our neighbors and urging them to come alongside with us in the truth and not—I I mean, I'm looking in the New Testament for any kind of directive which says— you know, anything along the lines of prepare the red heifers to usher in the final day of the kingdom of God. You see nothing like that. If you Is have to watch, uh, if you somehow you mistake and go to the wrong channel and watch Christian television, you'll actually see that they will have interviews with people who are sculpting and building yeah. the harps that were used in the time of David. And so that they'll be ready for temple use when 
Christ should return. Uh, it's this kind of thing absolutely consumes them rather than meditating upon the word of God and rejoicing in these things that God has revealed. Yeah, and, and so they've created this well, alternate universe. I, and I think they, the they times, thrive on the spectacular and right. the scary and the mysterious and, and the, the dark. And, and, and the, the Times, the L.A. Times, who does not have a Christian perspective per se, does right to lump in this kind of so-called Christian messianic expectation with the same messianic expectations of other religions yeah. which happen to be false religions fine I, I want to get into that but i want to tell you about a couple more christian kook uh messianic uh obsessors out there first of all you have bill mccartney i'm sure you all remember him he used to be the actually very successful football coach the colorado buffaloes um he decided after some vision or whatever he needed to head up promise keepers well he's at it again starting a new organization this one's called the road to jerusalem and again, here is the stated purpose of his um, new little ministry. By the way, I don't think this man's an ordained minister at all, but he's running around starting ministries uh, hey, did, left did and his right. Football team win. He had a good football he, team, and, does he, and have he was zeal? a charismatic leader. Does he have zeal? Then we should listen to him, right? <laughs> Boy, he could really give a locker room talk. Um, but he says our whole purpose is to hasten the end times, and um, then he goes on to say, sadly though that Jews and others who don't accept Jesus are going to be toast. Uh, now, this, that just sounds morbid. I, uh, now, of course, well, probably... morbid, but maybe, more maybe, t- maybe trivializing. What? I, I know, but You're maybe, going to be toast unless yeah, you accept Jesus. May, may, it does sound so juvenile and morbid and all a whole bunch of things wrapped up in one. Maybe he's been quoted out of context, but look, man, this is an article in the national media here, and you, this great supposedly lover of Jesus, great Christian guy, are running around talking in such cool terms, down in the street terms, down with the man kind of terms. They're going to be toast. How ridiculous. I mean, the Bible doesn't talk that way. So what is he doing to hasten the coming of the Lord? Well, he's trying to get people to start this Road to Jerusalem project with him so they can send a bunch of people over to Israel as missionaries so that they can convert some Jews because we all know that there needs to be somewhat of a conversion of Jews before Christ returns. That's at least what they say. Then there's this other guy, John Hagee. Now, I'm sure you've seen this guy. As Moses says, if you stumble across, uh, unfortunately, one of these Christian stations, he's this guy... He has helped 12,000 Russian Jews move to Israel. Oh, by the way, this story has a little anecdote about what he wears. It says that Hagee uh, wears a Jewish prayer shawl when he ministers. Shalom. Uh, yes. At any rate, uh, Hagee relates how he remembers the key day, May 15, 1948. He said he was only eight years old. He says, I'll never forget that night. I was standing in my kitchen, my father listening to the news about Israel's rebirth on the radio, and he said, son, this is the most important day in the 20th century. Well, what is he doing to activate the end times? He is, on July 18, organizing what this article says, a contingent of high-profile evangelists to go to Washington to make their concerns about Israel's security known to congressional leaders, more than 1,200 evangelists are expected to attend the meeting. I must have lost my invitation in the mail. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you threw it out in this? that pack of junk mail that you got along with it. I think one of the sad things with this is that we forget that among the Arab peoples, the Palestinians and the Lebanese were the most Christianized. In fact, some estimates put the uh, numbers of Palestinian Christians as 15% of the population prior to the birth of Israel. And so what has happened in the meantime is that men like Hagee and others 
are encouraging more and more Jews to come in there, but they are displacing all the Arabs, and particularly the Christian Arabs, who are getting more and more marginalized as the remaining Arab Arabs who are around are seeing that American and Western Christians are siding with one group against their own people. You mean there are actually Arab people who are Christians in the um, world, Moses? Actually, in the tens and hundreds of thousands. <laughs> but, you, but, I mean, it's funny. You wouldn't even know that. I mean, you're oh, looking at from the American press, Christian no. American television and press. You just think, well, it must be every single Arab or any kind of trace of Arab anything must oh. be a radical Muslim. Well, when's the last time you heard of 1,200 so-called evangelists gathering in Washington to address Congress on how to deal with Arabs? And why is the U.S. government being involved in the mission work of the church? Well, again, we need to use many angles here to activate the end times well it's funny you say well i wonder what jews are thinking about what Hagee's doing they got this quote from this rabbi uh this is orthodox rabbi brad hirschfield uh from the national jewish center for learning and leadership in new york he says i truly believe john Hagee is at once a daring beautiful person and quite dangerous i sincerely recognize him as a hero for bringing plain loads of people to israel at a time when people there were getting down getting blown up by the busloads. But he also believes that the only path to the Father is through Jesus, and that leaves me out. So sort of a mixed review, I guess, of Hagee's plan. I guess I'm not as worried about what the Jews are thinking about this. What, I, what really troubles me is how we get lumped in. I think this ought to bother all of you. If you're a sincere Christian, you ought to be bothered by how you are lumped in with just fringe, kook, radical fundamentalist groups who are not even Christians. This concept of activating the end times or uh, apocalypse now by trying to prepare for some sort of coming Messiah is not unique to Christianity. Um, there's oh, throughout the whole of human history, you've always had these people who have grand views of themselves and believe that they are somehow going to bring about some huge change that the, whatever deity it happens to be that they like is using them to do. And so this is megalomania. In Christianity, we have the one God who has revealed himself in the flesh in Jesus Christ, who has done the great work already. And we are now simply the under-shepherds. We are simply the people of God who are to continue to grow and manifest true Christian sanctification. Love is to be the number one characteristic. We are to be those who desire to see others saved because we delight in what the Father has done for us and the great relief it has given to us, the assurance of everlasting life. Yeah, being prepared for the for the cataclysmic event of the revelation of the Son of Man is not by conducting cataclysmic events yourself or trying to hasten. It's it's by living out the kingdom of God in your daily living. It's by your humble repentance and sanctification and loving your neighbor, like Moses said, and and uh, being an example and a light in the dark world. It's not concocting, it's not manipulating world political systems, it's not raising red heifers, it's not constructing the temple, it's living like Christ. Well, sure, that, that is how the Bible admonishes us to prepare, to not be idle, to be working, to be going out our daily callings, to be living and walking in the fear of the Lord, keeping his commandments, uh, making the most of the gifts that he's given us so that when he returns, uh, he will we'll not, be ready. We'll be he ready. We won't find us, us idle. But right. it, it's almost the sure mark of uh, extremist fundamentalists that they are busy constructing some activistic plan, not just among Christians, but, you know, 
Islam. I already noted that before. President, uh, now president of Iran, Mahmoud Aminajad, it was the mayor of, of Tehran in 2004, and he... Uh, spent, it says, millions on improvement to make the city more welcoming for the return of the Muslim Messiah known as Mahdi. Now, I have no interest in getting into the whole scenario of Shiite understanding of messianic returns or whatever, but here, a guy that can't really possibly be called mentally stable on most accounts, uh, here he is, uh, trying to do his part in activating the return of Messiah. You have uh, Jewish groups in Jerusalem, the article also cites here, uh, who are making their own preparations for the return of of Messiah. You have artisans recreating priestly robes of white linen, gem-studded breastplates, silver trumpets, solid gold menorahs to be used in the temple, and they're also hewing out, busily hewing out six-and-a-half-ton marble cornerstones for the building's foundation. I mean, all kinds of people are being cited here, but they're, they're busy, they're activists in trying to usher in this... Uh, this return. Well, they're not the only ones. There's also large fundraising things that are taking place in the U.S. constantly to help fund the building of the temple when that opportunity arises. And to me, what's really sad in all this is the fact that you have so many Christians who have completely misunderstood the work of Jesus Christ, that he is the temple of God, where we now actually can come to the Father and pray and be heard, and that the sacrifices have all been fulfilled in Christ, and to go back to them should never be the hope of a believer to go back to the types and shadows when we have the reality to actually go back to the picture when the real person is with us this is insane but unfortunately it's not grand enough to consider that god has left the church and the thing he's given the church to do is to preach the gospel it seems so dull it seems so anticlimactic and so there is this hope for something more an excitement that will draw people in because we're not content with the providence of god and how he has chosen to bring about the end in his own time. Sure, I, I think that's good. I, what I want to do is steer this towards why is this uh, outlandish scenario, uh, uh, this outlandish millennial uh, return of Christ scenario become so popular, at least in, in America way of seeing it, so much so that this is perceived as the Christian way of understanding the return of Christ. This LA Times article, this guy editorializes himself and explains what Christians believe. And he says this is how it's all mapped out. This is the Christian um, eschatology right here. He says, uh, outline the book of Revelation, uh, the view of the end times. He says Jews are to return to Israel, like, like as if everybody knows this, all right? Jews have to uh, return to Israel after 2,000 years. The Holy Temp is rebuilt. Uh, billions of people perish during seven years of natural disasters and plagues. The Antichrist arises and rules the world. The Battle of Armageddon erupts in the vicinity of Israel, and Jesus returns to defeat Satan and enemies presiding at Judgment Day. He presents this as matter of fact, as if this is what Christians believe. In fact, well, you this, can't is, blame, this is a brand new you, idea. You can't blame the guy for thinking that, because all the best-seller you know, Christian pseudo-truth, but also a little bit of fiction mixed in, like uh, the Tim LaHaye series on... Oh, the Left Behind series, The Left yeah, Behind exactly. series. Basically... How Lindsay's been out there saying this, some, selling millions and millions of books since their late you 60s? Can, you can understand that the uninitiated to the Christian faith, those who don't know anything about the basics of the history of Christian theology of the end times, and the vast majority, unfortunately, of professing Christians in the United States, they believe that that is what is going to happen. 
I mean, we've talked about this many times before, and you can probably see some shows on it in the archives, but that is not the historic view of the return of Christ in the Christian church at all. It's a sliver if even the total Christian population today believes this scenario. Why is it that this is the one that's the most popularized and, and the media would recognize as the Christian view? It always has to do with marketing. When you're dealing with mass media markets, it really is who has the best way of packaging their message. It's not really who has the right message that matters. And so this is where there's been a lot of aggressive fundraising and propagation. Yeah, and you further want to ask the question, why is it so popular and why do people accept it? Because it's something, I don't know, tangible, something exciting, something that gets you going. I mean, Christians look out at the world and they get frustrated because they see, you know, Las Vegas or they see the movie theater or they see the television. Or and there's all these lights all and all TV. these, well, I'm just saying there's all these lights and what bells and whistles and there's all this excitement. Well, we want to have that too. And yeah. Jesus, I mean, really a Christian should look around and say, okay, you know, that's all nice and good as long as it doesn't violate the law of God. And we may enjoy it to a certain degree, but we shouldn't be seduced by this, by bells and whistles, as if all that we see around us is all that we have. We don't have to make a Christian version of it in order to be fulfilled in this life. We know that a day, a great day is coming when he'll glorify the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And we should be content with that. We shouldn't try and recreate an artificial form of that now or, or no. try and hasten that you're, artificially. You're right. But here you go. I mean, this is why we have to talk about it. Um, one of the, the, the experts interviewed in this article to explain, you know, to all of us what Christians actually believe on this is some uh, historian over it. Well, not some historian. It's Eugene Weber who happens to be one of the most brilliant historians around. But uh, he basically argues that uh, – this, he says this is what the Christian eschatology is. It's always been an ultimately bloody hope, a slaughterhouse hope, he added with a sigh. What we now have in this global age is a vaster and bloodier than ever Wagnerian version, but then we are a very imaginative race. This, I mean, we're painted with a broad brush by a guy who should know better and a really bona fide historical expert, we have painted ourselves into a quarter, in a sense, as Christians by allowing these people to seize the headlines and to let their doomsday scenarios be the the sort of scenarios that dominate the press out there in terms of what Christians believe about the future. What do we do to counteract this? What do we do as serious-minded, Bible-believing Christians who aren't kook, fringe, radical, extremist, fundamentalists well first uh, thing is how do we how, how do we reshape the, the landscape well here? the first thing is start holding people accountable for misrepresenting christ in the scripture i mean i can't tell you how many times i meet people who find any number of inconsistencies biblically with what they're hearing in a church uh but you know because they you know, they kind of like it there they've been with their friends and ah uh, it's not that bad you know whatever they continue to give money they continue to show up they continue to support these broader you know so-called christian movements and teachers and leaders in the name of obedience to christ and what have you no you need to stop or you need to start holding these people accountable stop following them stop sending them money and label them like the LA Times does as these radical freaks who are not uh, giving a message that is in line with truth and just inciting people to irresponsible use of funds, to these, these cockamamie schemes that, you know, raising red heifers, sending, you know, becoming a political lobby as the Christian church pro-Israel in the 
you know, in the American governmental system. This kind of stuff has to stop, and the common man has to stop supporting leaders who go off in these ways. One of the problems with modern media is that you're having to deal with the fact that only the sensational makes the news, that which is a good picture or entertaining. So you get 20 people downtown who hold up a sign that says God hates fags. They're going to get on the news. We preach to a thousand people that God has called them to a life of holiness and that they are to give God thanks every day of their lives for everything they have. That's not going to make the news. It's not sensational. It's not interesting. But that's the reality of Christianity. And if these people were to go back and see the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter preaching, it would be overall very unremarkable and too dull for them. Because if you read Paul's letters, what is he doing? He is reminding people of the work of Christ. That's his number one thing. He is calling them to now live out the implications of their regeneration, of their rebirth. <laughs> he is not telling them... You know, Israel is still there. We can still pull this off before anything else goes wrong. Let's make no. it happen today. In fact, he's taking on the weightier matters like telling people not to sleep with their mother and <laughs> stop be, stop hitting the sauce, get, get off job. your tail and get a job. Yeah, take care of your family. Really stop gossiping. Love kind of the ideas. weak. You know, those are the yeah. kind of things. And it's not sensational. And so it is never really going to make the news. But that's why individual believers are called to support these things that the rest of the world will have no interest in. And individual believers are also called not to get led astray by everybody claiming, here is Christ, there is Christ, we're going to bring this about. You as an individual need to mature and grow and stop chasing after these things. Yeah, unwittingly, it's funny. These people are becoming fulfillment of prophecy, but not in the way that they think. They think they're on the right. side of God, but they're actually on the side of the enemy who is saying, look here, look there, that's where the Messiah is, and, you know, everybody chases after their own little agendas, whatever it is. So they are the fulfillment, but they're actually the false prophets that the Lord is talking about, and he will not return according to their schedules. Yeah. He will return when they and we and everybody else does not expect it, and we better be found ready. And let's also keep in mind something else. Throughout the New Testament, again and again, you see this idea of we are now all considered as sons of Adam, who are judged and who need to have the second Adam come and redeem them. And Paul makes it very clear, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no more distinction like this that we are to maintain in our way of doing business. So what is it that is happening when a large group of evangelicals get together and say, we must support Jews and Israel at the expense of the Arabs? They are going completely against what God has said the gospel is to be, which is to break down the wall of separation and make all one in Christ. We cannot be attacking any race and believe ourselves to be right with God at that point. We must be true believers who see all in need of the gospel and not favor one group over another in these things. Well, as we said, the irony of this whole movement is that they have now the people who are agitating to construct these fantastic scenarios to help God out to bring the end times to pass are actually the ones who Jesus prophesied against negatively. All this shot should warn us as Christians to be sober-minded, to take the Bible seriously, to respect the words of Christ, who says, no man knows the day or the hour, and then to go on to fulfill the admonitions that Christ gave and his apostles gave about what we are to be doing in the meantime, and that is to live like normal human beings, to plant crops, to run our businesses, to have marriages, to raise families— and to subdue and take uh, conquer and take dominion of the earth until Christ should return. That's the simple, ordinary, mundane preparation that God has commanded us to do. And then in his time, he will bring about the return of his son and bring about judgment and the eternal consummation 
of the kingdom of God. Until then, we wait and pray and serve the Lord. Thank you for joining us here on Sinners and Saints.